good morning. Happy Resurrection Day. I am so glad that you chose to be with us today. Uh, maybe you get, took somebody's invitation and you said, I'll be there, and I'm glad you did. Maybe you were just trying to figure out where to wind up and you wound up here. I don't believe there were any accidents. Uh, I believe you're here by divine appointment, and thank you for being obedient to the voice of God to come out on this beautiful day. My name is Bill Walker, and I'm one of the pastors here at Grace, and it is my great pleasure to be able to have a time to share with you from the Word of God. Now, we have been using this movie called Risen as kind of a backdrop for our Easter season. How many folks have seen the movie Risen? Okay, uh, a few, a few. Uh, it's worthy of watching. It's, it's kind of bleeding out of the theaters right now. It'll soon be in Netflix and in all those other ways. But it's really a fantastic movie. I saw it twice. It, it is kind of the movie that is called a, a biblical epic. It is known as a historical fiction. What happens is you pick up a, a character around the cross or the resurrection of Jesus, and you kind of follow a, a natural storyline out of that. Now, again, it is fictitious along the lines of something like Barabbas or that great old movie, The Robe, which seemed to find their way on TV this time of year. And, and so this is much like that. And so this movie called Risen revolves around a man by the name of Tribune Clavius. He's a man who has fought for 25 years in the Roman military, and he is a man at this point in his life who is simply tired. In fact, he says in the movie these words, he goes, I am simply looking for a day without bloodshed. And so he is weary, he is tired, and he's looking for something in life that really seems to matter. When all of a sudden, this man is thrust into the scene where Jesus Christ is being crucified, and then he is told to figure out what happened to the missing body of Jesus. So he starts uh, going and interrogating all the disciples, and he starts digging up all these grave sites around Jerusalem, trying to find this body that is missing. And as he pursues the facts... He ends up meeting the risen Lord Jesus Christ and discovers in him everything he had been looking for all his life. It's a beautiful movie. It's very, very well done. And that is my hope for you today, that in our time together, even this morning, that you would discover that what you have been searching for all your life is really the risen Lord Jesus Christ. So... In just a minute, we're going to kind of plow our way through some of the scriptures, and I'm going to show you, Lord willing, the difference the resurrection can make in your life today. You're thinking, really? Really? Let's pray together, and then we will get into it. Father, again, thank you for the privilege of gathering together in Jesus' name. I'm so grateful for the opportunity we've already had to proclaim praise and I pray now that as we open your word that you would speak clearly into each one of our lives. We so need to hear the voice of God. Bless us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So today, we're going to jump into this idea, the greatest comeback in history. The greatest comeback in history. And of course, that is Jesus Christ rising from the dead. He said in John chapter 11, verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. 
I am the resurrection and the life. And you think, that's cool, Pastor Bill. That's awesome. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. But that happened 2,000 years ago in some little dusty corner of the earth. What could that possibly mean to me today? You know, what could the resurrection really mean in a very practical way in my life today? Well, I am so glad you asked because that's exactly where we are going. We're going to take a quick peek at Matthew, a quick peek at Mark, a quick peek at Luke, and a quick peek at John. We're going to look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four testimonies, the, the, the uh, life and the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, we're not going to read them all, okay? You can don't worry about that. But we're going to look at four ways that the resurrection can have a personal impact in our lives today. Number one, because Jesus Christ came back from the dead, Matthew tells us that I can come back from despair. That I can come back from despair. You know, I don't know if there's really a better word right now to describe the present mood in the United States of America than this idea of despair. There, you know, uh, this multicultural exercise that we are going through is starting to show enormous cracks and fissures. There's all kinds of factions and pain and suffering going on in our nation. People don't know what to do in light of all of these various things that are touching their lives. People are depressed. People don't know what to do or where to turn so often in our society. And, and you see the gloom of this touching so many people's lives. Last year, in 2015, we set a new record in America. And the record was for suicides. There are 113 people today who will take their own life by their own hand. Once every 13 minutes, somebody becomes hopeless, doesn't know what to do or where to turn, and they end up doing the ultimate act of taking their own life. I feel so bad for our mental health professionals today. They are so overwhelmed with the burden of people who are coming to them trying to ask them, help me, I don't know what's wrong, I don't know what to do, I don't know where to turn. And so they're doing the best they can to help people out. And because this mood is in our country, and because it happens to be an election year, we have people going all around the country making all kinds of promises that we're going to make America great again. Or, America's always been great. We just need it to be great for everybody else. And so these people are going around trying to tell us that they're going to make our lives great. But I hope, I hope you have come to the point in your life where you realize that no matter the man or the woman in the White House or in the Congress, the United States government can never make your life great. It just can't. It was never designed to be your savior. It was never designed to be your redeemer. The United States government cannot do that for you. But people are going around touting that if you just vote for me, I'll tell you anything you want to hear, if you just vote for me, I'll make your life great again. Well, I'm sorry, if you're really going to buy that this time around, what's the old saying, fool me once, shame on me, fool me twice? Something like that, maybe the other way around, I don't know. But the reality is this, we've been down this path year after year, actually every four years after every four years after every four years, this is gonna be the year, it's gonna make a difference, and guess what? It doesn't, it just doesn't. 
that's because the government has never meant to be our savior. It is not designed to bail us out. It just isn't. In fact, I'm going to make some people depressed right now. You just walked in here and you were feeling really awesome. We had a great time of worship and, and now I'm going to really kind of bum you out. You know, we live in the United States of America, amen? We live in the United States of America, amen? Yes, it just so happens we do. And did you know that part of the privilege of being an American citizen is that the national debt belongs to us? Yeah, the national debt, according to the usdebtclock.org, if you want to look this up, you're more than welcome to, usdebtclock.org, right now the U.S. national debt stands at $19 trillion. You see, it is the government of the people, by the people, and for the people, which means the government took on this debt burden for us. And we're liable for it all. So by the time you kind of break it all down, the per debt per citizen is $59,407. Pay up. You see, that's the truth. If we're expecting the government to bail us out or to do all these incredible things on our behalf, the reality is this. The government's broke. How are they going to bail us out? How are they going to make my life great? You see, I already have a mortgage. Uh, I don't have a car loan, but some of you do, and I don't have any student loans. Thank God I finally paid that one off. And I don't have credit card debt, but some of you do. So on top of your regular debt in your life, because you are a U.S. citizen and our government represents us, if you're a family of four, that means you have an additional quarter of a million dollar debt burden on you to foreign governments. Say thank you, America. Maybe not so much. All that to say this, and I'm not trying to say that the government's evil or bad, though some of you would probably say so. I'm just saying this, it's not our savior. If you're looking for something to bail you out, if you're looking for something to rescue you, it's not the government. There has to be something more substantial. There has to be something that is, that is more, more firm, more sure, a rock that is higher than I, no matter what the storm may be around me, that gives me substance that I can stand on in my life and find something that's really hopeful. And there is. Let me show you a story here in the Gospel of Matthew. It actually revolves around two women. Matthew chapter 27, verses 59 through 61, it says this, And Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea, took the body of Jesus, and he wrapped it in a clean linen shroud. And then he laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And then he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb, and he went away. But I want you to notice verse 61. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, we're not exactly sure who that is, were there sitting opposite the tomb. And so what we have here is a scene of despair. We have Mary Magdalene and another Mary who are sitting in a graveyard looking at a tomb where the lifeless body of the one they love lays. All their hopes were in him. All that they thought about life was in him. He was the one they were going to follow. He was the one who said, I will give you eternal life if you would but be mine. And so they loved him. And sadly, they watched this one who loved them more than anybody ever loved them. They watched this one who spoke such tender, beautiful words to them. They watched this one who touched and healed the masses with his hands. In fact, Mary Magdalene, the Bible says, Jesus cast seven demons out of her. 
Those same hands that loved and touched in words that came out that were so beautiful, he is now murdered on a cross. All their hopes have now died in him. This is a point of terrible despair in their lives. They don't know what to do next. What can we do? Where do we go? What is next? All our hopes were pinned on him. The Bible says basically they went home that night. It was already late. They quickly laid Jesus in the tomb because the next day was a holy day. But the women came back two days later. And when they came back, the Bible says this. Now, after the Sabbath, which was Saturday, towards the dawning of the first day of the week, which is Sunday, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. They were going back. They were going to go back and they were going to stare at this tomb with the lifeless body of Jesus in it and think about what's next? What do we do? Where do we go? They were still grieving. They were in despair. When all of a sudden, <laughs> behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came down and rolled back the stone and sat on it. And the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said, come and see the place where he lay. Those three little words, he has risen, absolutely radically changed everything that they were thinking. All of a sudden, all their hopes were dashed, and now all of them have been revived because Jesus Christ is alive. You know, right now, around this world, over one billion people are gathered to worship the living God on this Easter Sunday. And they are gathered in the far reaches of Siberia, in Mongolia, in the outer reaches of China, down into Patagonia, off into uh, South Africa, all the way up to the Arctic Circle. People are gathered all around the world today because Christ is risen. Christ is risen. That's it. Those three words change everything. It gives you a firm foundation on life in which to build your life. Have you noticed that when we gather today, I don't say to you, and the employment rate is risen because it'll go down. I don't say to you, and my 403B account is risen, because it'll go down. Everything in life goes like this. There is only one place that is absolutely secure. There is one place to put your life and find hope, and it is in the person of Jesus Christ. Right now, I wish I could just take a few minutes and share with you how a number of years ago now, I was going to be that statistic. I was going to be one of those people who every 13 minutes takes their life. And just as I was contemplating that, I met the risen Lord Jesus Christ. He entered into my life. He gave me hope, which I so lacked, and he has given me a wonderful life worth living. I just want you to know I'm not preaching to you or sharing with you some old dusty story from 2,000 years ago. I'm sharing with you the reality that changed my own life. Jesus Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And that, my friends, means that I can come back from despair and he gives me hope in a day where there seems to be so little hope. That is what Matthew tells us. But I want you to notice as we move on, I want you to see what Luke has to say. You see, because Jesus came back from the dead, Luke tells me that I can come back from defeat. I can come back from defeat. Now, Luke 
I'm sorry, Mark is most likely John Mark. And there's a very good chance that John Mark was a very close associate of the Apostle Peter. In fact, most people believe the writing of, of Mark is actually the words of Peter given to Mark as he basically tells the story of Jesus' birth, life, death, and resurrection. So what we have in Mark is a unique showing of the relationship between Peter and Jesus. And there are some things in Mark that aren't in the other Gospels because Mark is telling it from Peter's perspective. And when he shares Peter's relationship with Jesus, he shares warts and all. Notice with me, Peter. It says this, and Jesus, Mark chapter 14, and Jesus said to them, his disciples, this is before he die, or goes to the cross and dies, he says, you will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. But after I am raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter. <laughs> Peter. Peter is the kind of guy who the only time he doesn't have his foot in his mouth is when he's switching feet. Okay, so that's what he's doing here. So Peter said to him, even though, all, even though they all fall away, and so he's doing this, he's going, all the other disciples, all the other disciples, even though all they will fall away. <laughs> Notice what he says, I won't. And Jesus said to him, truly, like, Peter, we've been here before, man. I tell you this, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said to him emphatically, listen, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And of course, since Peter said it, all the rest of them said, yeah, us too. Yeah, we will too, Jesus. So what we have here is Peter. Bold, brash Peter. And Peter is basically saying, you know, Jesus, my name is Simon. You're the one who called me Peter. And so Peter means rock, Lord. And Jesus, I just want you to know that you can count on me. You can count on Rocky. I'm there for you, Jesus. I'm there for you. I can do this. I'll be there. I will, I will take on whatever comes, and I will not fail you. So this is Peter. He's so brash, so bold. And Jesus said, Peter, 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 let's see how the story plays out. Dear, dear Peter. Well, the Bible says right after this statement was made to Peter and the rest of them that they would scatter, um, it, he went down into the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus went off to pray as he was wrestling in his humanity with the reality of dying on the cross. And so he asked his disciples to pray for him. So Jesus is wrestling in prayer, gets up and goes back, and he finds them all asleep. He asked them to pray for them. Thanks, Rocky. You can't even pray for me. So Jesus goes back and prays again and comes back and he finds them asleep again. And so he wakes them up and says, please pray for me. He goes back and prays one more time, comes back, finds them asleep. He says, sleep on. At that moment, Judas comes with a whole band of soldiers. And Judas comes up to Jesus and he betrays them with a kiss. He betrays Jesus with a kiss. And one of the soldiers apparently grabs onto Jesus' arm and Peter jumps up and he pulls out a sword. Fisherman, sword, wrong implement. This it can't go well. It really can't go well. And it doesn't go well. And so Peter's thinking, what I'll do is I'll hack his head off his shoulders. But actually what he ended up doing was hacking his ear off his head. And so his ear falls to the ground. Jesus picks it up and puts Melchius's ear back on, heals it, turns around, and rebukes Peter. And Peter's going to be like, Jesus, you don't get this whole escape thing. I stab him. You run. We don't do it this way. So Jesus is taken under custody, and the sheep scatter. The disciples all run for their lives, 
fearing for themselves. And it's, the Bible says, and that Peter kind of skulked along behind Jesus, watching what was happening. And he, Jesus wound up in a place where they were, they were actually uh, interrogating him and putting him through some false trials. And it says Peter was warming himself by the fire, trying to figure out what was going on, when a young woman comes up to him and she goes, you're with the Nazarene, aren't you? And the Bible says, Peter says, no, no, not me. You've got the wrong person. So again, somebody, a bystander says to him, indeed you are, you, 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 your speech betrays you. You're a Galilean. No, no, I'm not. Rooster crows. And so once again, another young maiden comes up to him and she says, indeed, you are one of his followers. And he, the Bible says he curses and he swears, probably on his mother's grave, I do not know that man. I do not know what you're talking about. And the rooster crows. Rocky. Bold, brash Peter is awash with grief and guilt. He denied his Lord three times. And he was in a terrible place, a terrible place of having been defeated in his walk with Christ. A few days go by. A couple days go by. And I can well imagine one of the disciples coming up to Peter and saying this, Hey, Peter, guess what? What? Jesus is alive. That's good news and bad news if you're Peter, right? Ooh. And I can almost imagine the disciples going and, ooh, you're going to get it. And, you know, we think that, don't we? You know, ooh, you failed the Lord. Ooh, you know you're living a life that doesn't honor God. Ooh, we sense this, this natural sense of guilt. And with guilt, this often we have this sense of, of pending judgment. Maybe you walked in here this morning and you were afraid if you walked in the house of God that the ceiling was going to fall on you. After all, you know the life you've been living. You know how far away from God you are. You know where you're not walking with the Lord. And you're here on Easter because it's what people do on Easter. But could it be that rather than judgment, Christ has love for you? Could it be, rather than condemnation, that he wants to give you forgiveness? Could it be, rather than going on with this ongoing sense of guilt and shame, that he wants to wash your heart clean and let you live a life of beauty? Could it be? So here we have Peter. Ooh, Peter. Notice what it says in, the, in Mark. Mark 16, I love this. This is only here in Mark. It says, and he said to them, this is the angel speaking to the women at the tomb, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Now go and tell his disciples and yes. Notice how Peter was singled out. He had already denied Jesus Christ and Jesus predicted it. The only person surprised at his failing was himself. And Jesus had already planned a way to forgive him and redeem him and, and re-embrace him. That's what God does. God knows us. He knows that we're failing. He knows that we're feeble. He knows this about us. And so he's actively drawing us to himself to find forgiveness. So go, tell his disciples and Peter 
that he is going before you into Galilee, and there you will see him just as he told you. Tell Peter I love him. Tell Peter I want to forgive him. Tell Peter I still want to use him. Tell Peter, please. I love the way the movie, the, the movie Risen, shows this interchange between Peter and Jesus. Notice what it looks like. Walk a little farther. Why? To be closer. Simon, do you love me? Yes. You know that I do. Do you love me? Yes. Simon, do you love me? With all my heart. And you must feed my lambs. you just saw happen is exactly what Jesus Christ wants to do with you. He wants to draw you close, and he wants to ask you, do you love me? And you're thinking all these thoughts, but I've done this, and I've done this, and I've done this, and I've done this, and I've denied you, and my lifestyle doesn't mean that I, 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 I show this love. He says, no, 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 no. Do you love me? But Lord, you know, this and this and this and this. That's not what I'm asking you. I'm asking you, do you love me? And just bury your head into his chest and weep tears of joy. Because his desire is to forgive, to love, to heal, to give you a future and a purpose. Just like he did with Peter. That's our God. That is what happens when you come to the risen Lord Jesus Christ. What is it that, that the resurrection does for us today? Because Jesus came back from the grave. I can come back from despair and find hope. I can come back from being defeated and find forgiveness. But next I want you to notice Luke. Luke says this is one of the truths that the resurrection can be, make real in my life. And it is this, because Jesus Christ came back from the dead, Luke tells me that I can come back from deep, deep doubts. Luke was a medical doctor, a man of science. And so when he put together his account of the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ in the Gospel of Luke, he put it forward in a very carefully ordered way in an effort to try and help those who are thinkers to try and aid those who might be skeptics of the reality of this thing called the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So he pulled it together in a very careful way. And this is his explanation of the resurrection. He said this, Luke 24, verses 5 and 6, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Now, right now, some of you are sitting there saying, Prove it. I'm a thinking person. My feelings only go so far, and my brain stops them. I need to know for sure. I need you to deal with my doubts because I just don't know if I believe it. You are very much like the man in the movie, Risen. 
You see, Tribune Clavius was a military man. He was a man who dealt every day with facts. He was a strategist. He dealt with logistics. He was a man who dealt with hard truth. Because any day he would ignore that could cost him his life or the lives of his men. So he was very much a thinker. He was very much a strategist. He was very much a person who needed to have straightforward facts in order to understand something. Maybe that's you. Maybe the interchange between Clavius and Jesus is something you need to hear. Speak your heart. I cannot reconcile all this with the world I know. With your own eyes you've seen, yet still you doubt. Imagine the doubt of those who never see. That's what they face. Perhaps he was speaking for you those who have never really seen the tangible body of Jesus, how can we really know for sure? Again, Luke, I love this guy. He wrote an addendum to his book, or a sequel, if you will. After he wrote the Gospel of Luke, he wrote the book of Acts. At the beginning of the book of Acts, he used these words. After his suffering, referring to Jesus, Jesus showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. Now the word convincing proofs is really only one word in the original language, and it means that which causes one to know for sure, or with certainty. It is a word that is used of legally admissible evidence. Now last week when we were together, I actually walked through five different proofs for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm not going to go back there this week, but if you want to hear what those are, I want to encourage you to go to our website, gracewaldorf.org, gracewaldorf.org, and go down the left-hand side to messages. You will find last week's message there as I talked about five proofs for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But today I want to share with you just one more, and it's profound. It's one that, that Luke tells us is the substance that we put our trust in today. It actually comes from Luke chapter 24. Notice what it says. It says, and as they were talking about these things, this is the disciples locked in a dark room out of fear. All of a sudden, Jesus himself stood among them and he said, peace to you. <laughs> Boo, in other words. And they were startled. 
and frightened. And they thought they saw a spirit or a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do your doubts arise in your hearts? Look, look, see my hands. See my feet. It is I myself. Go ahead, touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Verse 44 is profound for us today. And he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. Notice that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. What Jesus is saying is this. This, the, the law of Moses is the Torah, the first five books of the Older Testament. He refers to the prophets, that's the major prophets and the minor prophets, and the Psalms refers to basically the writings, the history as well as the poetry. So he's basically saying the entire Older Testament has done nothing but predict I was coming. And over and over and over again, it is promised that I was the one who was going to ultimately come, ultimately redeem humanity by dying for people on the cross, and that I would rise again. It all is there, guys. So, today, we do not have the physical body of Jesus to probe with our fingers, to put our fingers in the nail holes. We can't put our fingers in the holes in his feet. We can't thrust our hand into the side where the spear went in. We do not have his physical body anymore, but we definitely have a body of evidence. We definitely have a body of truth. We certainly have a body of proof. And if we are willing to probe the scriptures, if we are willing to thrust our hearts and our minds into the word of God, then God will give us through the aid of the Holy Spirit a sense of this is real. This is genuine. This is the substance of the truth. You know, Jesus makes a point of saying that everything had to be fulfilled about him. Somebody actually went through the wonderful exercise of walking through the Older Testament and lining up all the messianic prop, uh, prophecies concerning Jesus and then finding his fulfillment, the fulfillment of them in his life. And what they came up with was simply 324 prophecies made of the, Jesus Christ and fulfilled in the New Testament. Probe it. Look into it. Discern it. Challenge it. See if it's real. In fact, one guy went through the trouble of saying, you know, this is not coincidental. This is not coincidental. In fact, a man by the name of Peter Stoner actually did a mathematical uh, probability to rule out the idea of coincidence. He only took eight prophecies, eight prophecies, and he worked them all out, and he came to this conclusion. We find that the chance that any man might have lived down to the present time and in, in to fulfill all eight of the prophecies, if you would like his, his work, I have a copy of it. I'd be happy to give it to you. He goes, uh, that any man might have lived down to the present time and fulfilled all eight prophecies is equivalent to one to the tenth, uh, one to ten to the seventeenth power, which is a way of saying one to one hundred quadrillion chance. That's only eight. How many does that leave? A lot. A whole lot. So you see, while we do not have the physical body of Jesus today to probe and to examine, we do have the substance and the truth and the, the 
quality of the body of Scripture. In fact, Scripture is so important. It is so profound. It's even bigger than your, your personal experience can be. I want you to hear what Luke said. Again, this is Luke. In Luke chapter 16, we have this wonderful story, or this strange story of, of Lazarus and the rich man. And the rich man found himself in Hades, and Lazarus was in comfort. And the rich man said, please, Father Abraham, send Lazarus back from the dead to warn my five brothers so they will not wind up in this place of torment. And this is what Abraham said to the rich man. And Abraham said, but they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear him. And he said, no, 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 Father Abraham. But if, if somebody goes back from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, uh-uh. If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if somebody should rise from the dead. You see, this body of truth is more than sufficient to convince anybody who wants to believe. But it will never be enough to convince anyone who's unwilling to believe. You see, what Jesus Christ does through the resurrection is that not only does he allow me to come back from despair and find hope, come back from defeat and find forgiveness, come back from doubt and find a confident faith. But lastly, John tells us one more thing that the resurrection of Jesus Christ does, because Jesus came back from the dead, I can come back from death. Notice what Jesus said in John chapter 11, verses 25 and 26, speaking to Martha. And he said to her, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Basically what Jesus is saying is this. Those who are vitally connected to me, when I rise, they rise. As I live, they will those who are vitally connected to me. You know, we don't talk a lot about death in our culture. It's one of those things that we just don't like to think about. In fact, did you know in the old days, every church had a graveyard around it? It used to. It used to. So people would walk through the graveyard going into the church as a reminder of their mortality because life was short. Today, we put, we put these mortuaries and these wonderful places off in fields out of the way where we don't have to visualize them. We have all these nice shiny churches walk in and let's just praise Jesus. But there is something valuable about realizing the reality of our own mortality. You know, right now, do me a favor, look around. Just look at the people around you. They're good looking folk, aren't they? Yeah, they're beautiful people. Do you realize in 120 years they're all dead? I'm sorry, that's just the truth. Maybe less for some of us. But the reality is this, and, and, and statistics are stubborn things. One out of one people die. It is the truth. And we would be foolish realizing that this eventuality is coming into all of our lives to merely ignore it and not plan for the reality of it. That would be foolish. And so because Christ rose from the dead, because there is an eternity, because there is a heaven, you can know for sure in your life when you exit this life that you will spend forever in the presence of the living God. 
You can know that. I love the way Jesus put it in his high priestly prayer to his father in John chapter 17. John chapter 17 and verse 3 is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Jesus said this, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That they may know you. It's not that they know about you or they've heard about you. But the word know literally has the idea of having a personal interactive relationship with. Has the idea of embracing Christ, not just by faith, but with your life. In walking with him in an ongoing way. You can have that kind of promise real in your life. So what we've done this morning is simply this. We have talked about two sides of your life. We have talked about the side of your life before you embrace Jesus Christ. And so when you come to that place where you wrap your arms of faith around him and and you confess your sin to him, your unworthiness, he forgives you, and then you desire to follow him. When you come to that place, then there is this side of life after that. So prior to your embracing Christ, it is a life of despair. It is a life of not knowing what's next or, or what I can do, of, of, of not knowing where I can go or what really matters. It is a life of defeat where there is shame, where there is guilt. It is a life that, that is filled with doubts. What can I really believe? I've been searching and searching and searching, but nothing satisfies. And it is a life of that uncomfortable word called death. But when you come to the place of embracing Christ with your life, and loving him, and having a relationship with him. The other side of the equation is this. You get forgiveness. You get a confident faith. You get a future. You get eternal life. You get This is what the resurrection of Jesus Christ is all about. I am the resurrection and the life. This is what he's talking about in your life. The difference between the past and the future is a person called Jesus. And today... Jesus Christ spreads his arms big and wide to include you if you're willing to come to him. I want to invite everyone as we get ready to close just to bow your heads with me just for a few moments. I'm not going to embarrass anybody or anything. This is where I want you and I want God to spend just a few moments together as we get ready to conclude our Easter service. But what I want you to do is simply close your eyes and I want you to block out everyone around you. Block out everyone around you. Right now, I simply want it to be between you and Jesus. Again, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Oh, dear ones, it would be such a shame if you did not allow the resurrection to impact your life today. No matter how you walked in here this morning, No matter what your background may be or what you may have done, today you can start a personal relationship with a living God and experience the resurrected Jesus in your life. With your head bowed, allow me to go into the presence of Jesus and pray. Dear Lord Jesus,
thank you so much. Thank you for being willing to come to earth. Thank you for being willing to take the form of a man. Thank you for living the life that I could not live perfect. And thank you for dying the death that I deserve to die. Jesus, thank you for validating all you said and did by rising from the dead. Thank you for inviting me into a personal relationship with you by trusting you with my life. Right now, dear ones, if you have never come before Jesus and confessed your sin and your need of him, I invite you to do so. With simple words, something like this. From your heart to the Lord, Risen Lord Jesus, right now, as best as I understand, I embrace you with my life. Be my Savior from my sin, and be the leader of my life. Jesus, I trust you. Jesus, I embrace you by faith. Jesus, help me to learn to love you. Thank you, Jesus. In your name, amen. Amen.